CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey, Ben, remember this? I think we're done. The campaign, of course, is not done. <laughs> Planner. The campaign, of course, is not done. Richard Ehrman, man, what happened? <laughs> I think you are done. And I think the campaign is done, by the way, D. Just saying. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, September 1st, is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, <laughs> Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and yeah. Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke sometimes, and tons of awesome columns including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky, Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can, chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y. It is Thursday, September 1st, and this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this <laughs> Palin Loses Thursday. And here's why. Because Sarah Palin lost, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Mary Peltola. Whoa. I, I, I can't get the words out. Can't get the words out. How'd you know the name so fast? Mary Peltola, Nick Bagich the third. And Sarah Palin. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, <laughs> let me let the cat out of the bag. Uh, so uh, we are essentially. Um, You've mentioned this before. <laughs> oh, I know. The second job, uh, Dr. D has a flourishing podcasting business that includes news reporting from Alaska. And so I was like, he caught me off guard. I'm like, how does he know? How do you know so much about Alaska? And then, of course, duh, Ben, duh. He'd been reporting it all night. He was up late last night. His hands went on the wheel uh, and reporting the breaking news latest precinct from a bear crow country. Ten votes for Patola. That's not how she pronounces your name, Ben. Peltola. Peltola. First, first native Alaskan to get the seat. That's great. Great job, Peltola. I, I, I'm impressed with her and impressed with you. Um. So, wow, that, that, that curveball caught me off guard and I will try to re- Cover, <laughs> uh, but uh, yes, uh, Mary Patella uh, defeated uh, Sarah Palin, and as Dennis could tell you, uh, they were running in a special election to fill a vacancy created when a former congressman whose name is what Dennis? Uh, that was uh, what's his name? Um, he, he's a former same name as a former center fielder for the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, can't, I just can't remember the guy's name. Don Young, uh, and uh, Don Young's a legend uh, in Alaska politics. He's been congressman for like fifty thousand years. Anyway, he died. It was a special election, uh, and as Dennis could also tell you, they have ranked voting uh, in Alaska, uh, which is a very complicated. Not that complicated. You know what? I, you know, I'm going to stop saying that D, because like that's a trigger. Whenever I say it's complicated, then people go, I just can't figure it out. 
Well, it is you know a little crazy. They do the hokey pokey, then they turn themselves about, and about that time, that's when they place their election. That's a that that is an accurate summary of how it, uh, and and you know uh, sometimes they do the electric slide before they vote. Woo, go to the left, go to the right. Uh, anyway, uh, it was a big night for me because uh, I'm not a fan of Sarah Palin. To put it mildly, I remember when uh, John McCain picked her as uh, his running mate in 2008 and up the all the uproar. And, uh, it was probably a well. I, I mean, I, John McCain's strategists have said it was uh, not the best uh, choice for McCain to make. Either, either way, she was trumping for Trump. Uh, I thought she was unbeatable, D. I just worked from the... See, I'm not listening to Dennis's reporting from Alaska. Had I been listening, I would know uh, that uh, Palin was in trouble. So that's my first fault for not listening to Dennis's reporting from Alaska. But it caught me off guard when the news broke yesterday. <laughs> Breaking news. Uh, after our show was over, uh, the person who broke the news to me... No, no. Here's how it happened. I, got a, I was on the phone with somebody else. I got a phone call from Monroe Anderson. Uh, and just as I saw him calling me, I saw the New York Times break the news that Sarah Palin uh, had lost. I knew, oh, that's what Monroe uh, was calling about because Monroe has been predicting uh, a Democratic triumph in the congressional midterms. He's been predicting that now for the last several weeks. He says that Dems will hold on uh, to the House of Representatives. I, of course, don't believe him. I think the Republicans will take the House because of gerrymandering. Um, now, you cannot gerrymander in a state like Alaska. Let me do this explanation. Uh, Alaska is the largest state. Dennis knows this because he broadcasts. He covers Alaska. It's the largest physically, the largest state uh, in the in the country. Uh, it's got it's vast. It's huge. It's like fifty Illinois put together, but it's got one of the smallest populations in the country. Hence, it only has one congressional seat. The whole state is a congressional seat. Uh, so it's hard to gerrymander when it's a whole state. And that's where the Republicans are at a disadvantage. They're an advantage in congressional races because straightforward congressional races because they can gerrymander the boundaries in such a way to give them an advantage. When you're going statewide, a little higher, you can't gerrymander. So that's why uh, the Dems have a chance, a very good chance of holding on to the Senate. But I don't think they can um, hold on to the House because of the gerrymandering. Uh, One of the pivotal uh, issues in this race uh, is abortion rights. Uh, and Alaskans, Dennis can tell you this, are kind of libertarian types. You know, stay out of my business, uh, government. And, uh, you know, they tend uh, to go more conservative. Uh, Matt Topic, illustrious uh, lawyer, has joined us. We're not going to bring him on yet. He, I could see his uh, lovely face. So we're going to be talking criminal justice issues and FOIA issues uh, with Matt Topic uh, and Joshua Teffer. But anyway, back to Alaska. So Alaskans, uh, as Matt, Matt Topic can tell you, uh, tend to be a little bit of a libertarians. And so the notion that the government interfering with their lives in such a heavy-handed way as to say, you can't have an abortion, even if you were raped, even if it's a case of incest, even if your life's in danger, or if your life's in danger, they make you go to before a judge and beg and plead. Uh, you know, Alaskans are like, mm, I don't know. Plus the rank voting, uh, people uh, got to, uh, you know, like they could vote for the Republican in the race and then turn right around and vote for uh, Sarah Palin. There were three candidates running, two Republicans uh, and uh, Mary uh, Paltola. So anyway, big news. And it's funny, you know, this is Dems. In the aftermath, Dems are so nervous. They're so cautious. They're so afraid. They, they're so afraid of the shadow. I was reading uh, the response by David Axelrod, who's like the smartest Dem in the country. You know, he's the brains behind Obama. Uh, he's the demiest Dem I know. And uh, he's the one who came up with like this 
got to bend your message to uh, pick up suburban swing voters and uh, suburban areas of parts of Milwaukee and Maryland. He, he was like, well, we don't want to read too much into this election. You just won. Be happy. <laughs> nope. Well, I'm a dumb. I'm afraid. I'm always afraid. <laughs> so I'm always I'm now worried that Dems are going to cut back. Here's an issue that people really believe in, abortion rights. I could just see Dems just like pulling back. I don't want to go too far. I'm scared. You know, Dems are more like Matt Topic. Now, Matt Topic is going to be my guest. He's sitting right here. He's listening to what I'm having to say. Matt Topic doesn't really have any ideology. Matt Topic's a pragmatic guy. I'm not even, I think he's more like a political independent. He's not Dem. He's not Republican. He's not MAGA. He's not non-MAGA. He's like down the middle. But he's not afraid to stand up to powerful people. So he's suing the city. In fact, he took on a, guess who one of Matt Topic's clients was? You won't believe this, ladies and gentlemen. Me! <laughs> Matt, Matt Topic took on me as a client. You know the guy's not afraid of powerful people in the city of Chicago. <laughs> you took that ne'er-do-well, Ben Jaroski, as a client? I didn't pay him enormous sums. No, I didn't pay him anything. Anyway, neither here nor there. The point is, is that Dems are afraid of their shadows. So now they're like, oh, I don't know. How far should we push this abortion issue? Yes, we won, but I don't know if it'll hold. What do we do? I'm scared. And uh, so, uh, meanwhile, I read a column in today's bright one, Home Delivered. I will now show Matt and Joshua, my guests, the newspaper, so they know I'm not lying. Uh, Not that they thought I was lying. Uh, There was a column by... uh, S.C. Cup, who uh, used to be a conservative columnist. Uh, she's still kind of conservative uh, in her worldview, but she despises Donnie Trump and MAGA so much that she's trending left. She, do- she doesn't believe in anything Dems believe in, right? But she despises Donald Trump and what he's doing to this country. So I got to give her a shout out. She's a woman of principle. Uh, anyway, she points out in her column that, follow me on this, ladies and gentlemen, that the percentage of Americans who believe abortion should be illegal in all circumstances, all circumstances across the board, incest, rape, woman's life in danger, et cetera, and so forth, 13%. 13% of Americans believe that abortion should be illegal in all uh, circumstances. So follow me on this, uh, listeners, Joshua and Matt, follow me on this. MAGA has dedicated itself to an ideology, to a worldview on abortion, making it illegal in all instances, that only 13% of Americans support. Now, I am not good at mathematics like Matt Topic and Joshua Teffer, who are my guests coming up. But I do know this. 13% is a lot less than whatever the other side is. Let me hold on, Matt. Let me do the math. 87%. Dems, that's what you call a winning issue. So, you know, I know the knees are knocking constantly. I know you're afraid of your shadow constantly. (laughs) You're afraid you're going to say the wrong thing. You want to always cut toward the middle and show you're not an extremist. But I think you're kind of on safe grounds on an issue in which only 13% of the American public agrees with the Republicans have dedicated themselves to a position on abortion rights that only 13% of the American public believes in. I would say Dems, this is what we would call a winning issue for you to follow. So now's not the time to get nervous. Now's not the time to get those knees knocking. Now's not the time to retreat like this. Your instinct 
in almost every single instance. No, stand tall. Let people know what you believe in. Let them know that you're standing up for uh, a woman's right to have an abortion. Don't be afraid. If anything, look at Kansas where the referendum passed in a red state that Donald Trump won. Look in Alaska where Sarah Palin was defeated by a pro-choice Democrat in a red state that Donald Trump won. This is a winning issue, Democrats. Please, for once in your life, do not screw it up. All right, let's bring on Matt Topic and Joshua Tuffer, two ace attorneys, dear friends of the show. And as I said before, I must get this out of the way. Matt represented me in a FOIA complaint uh, that I filed with the city. I got a response from the FOIA. I, I believe I constitute the worst client Matt has ever had because I couldn't figure out. <laughs> Matt, help me out here, man. They said it's in a form. I couldn't make heads or tails of it. <laughs> Are you still trying to like open a PDF or something? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lord. God, Do you just need me to come over to your office and we can just sit down with the computer and I can give me to print it all out for you and mail it to you or something? Wow. Like I mean, first of all, that would be a blast. I'd buy you dinner at the restaurant of your choice. Well, not, I'm knowing you, you'll make me go to some downtown place where it's like $300 just to look at the menu. Uh, you know, a reasonable restaurant of your choice. Uh, and that would be a lot of fun. I'm wondering what's on it. I think it's a lot of gobbledygook that the city sent me. Uh, I, I think it's a lot of filler, newspaper clippings and such, and just, you know, basically giving me the middle finger. We'll get into FOIA stuff in a little while. Matt Topic's expertise is FOIA um, matters. Uh, the guy's freaking brilliant when it comes to FOIA law, uh, and uh, he generally has the city tied in knots. Uh, and his partner in crime today, uh, Joshua Teffer. Uh, uh, you guys work for the same law firm, don't you? Do, am I correct on that, Matt? And Joshua, you are yes, Lovey and Lovey. Yes, so I want to give a shout out to the law firm uh, they work for. Joshua's uh, expertise is uh, well, trying to get innocent uh, prisoners out of prison. Uh, and he was on the show uh, talking about Ronald Watts cases. There'll be updates in the Ronald Watts cases, uh, Joshua. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Matt had a hand in that as well. So we're going to do a lot of criminal justice talk. And Joshua, I'm going to start with you, and uh, I'm going to just do this preface that I may have briefly told you about uh, before we went on the air. And Matt, you haven't heard this at all. But uh, what we're about to talk about is exceedingly against the tide, Joshua. Uh, It's very unpopular in the city right now. And as State Exhibit A, I will now again hold up today's Chicago Sun-Times. Today's Sun-Times, Matt and Joshua, is no different than the one from yesterday, the day before. It's filled with stories about crime in Chicago, how crime is on the increase, uh, how there's a a feeling of fear in the city, uh, a sense of lawlessness, a sense of outrage and anguish over high-profile murders that are just uh, so painful and difficult to to deal with, uh, and, and a sense that's constantly pervade uh, in uh, news articles, not just in the Sun-Times, but the Tribune on TV, that the police are helpless. There's not enough of them. Uh, Their hands are tied uh, by do-good lawyers like yourself who are constantly uh, uh, suing them for uh, zealous tactics, to put it mildly, uh, and uh, proclamations from various uh, lawyer uh, politicians, uh, for uh, judges, this is the one of Lori Lightfoot's favorite theme, judges to get a little tougher and not uh, release people on bond, uh, hold them whether they're guilty or not, just hold them. Uh, and the latest uh, article on this front is um, 
has to do with drag racing and how dangerous it is. And LaShawn Ford has come up with a new law, Joshua, I was telling you earlier, uh, that would uh, be uh, especially punitive in that area. So, Joshua, please give a ringing uh, defense of why it's important (laughs) that civil liberties be watched uh, even when the papers are filled with stories that are uh, in largely intended to get people afraid of crime. Take it away. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty simple. I mean, the narrative of police's hands being tied, I mean, police can't solve crimes without the community feeling comfortable reporting crimes to the police to help them solve it. The police don't witness the crimes. They don't, uh, you know, they're not there. They're not usually the victims. So they need the community support in solving crimes. When there is no accountability for the portion of police, sometimes we say the small portion, let's just call it the portion of police who routinely violate citizens' constitutional rights, or worse, commit crimes, including torture and fabricating evidence and lying in court and planting evidence on people and, you know, falsifying crime scenes. Um, When there is no accountability for those just truly despicable acts, criminal acts of police officers, there's obviously no reason for the community to trust police. So when it's those same police that they're interacting with, or seeing them on the floor, seeing them on the street, even though they've been reported as engaging in this wrongdoing, um, yeah, the police's hands who are trying to solve the crimes are tied because there's no reason for the community to trust this city, this police force, or, or anyone else. Yeah, and before we take the the deep dive in some of these local uh, cases we already talked about, we're going to talk about Ronald Watts and Reynaldo Guerra, but I just have to point out, uh, Matt and uh, Joshua, something that I said, Joshua, to you before we went in the air. Uh, the mixed message is resounding on this issue that comes out every day. So the same newspaper and the same newspapers, I'm not picking on this sometimes, the same newspapers that are filled with story about crime on the rise and uh, people saying that uh, uh Law enforcement, uh, prosecutors, and judges have gone too far uh, to favor defendants. Um, <laughs> are the people saying that the FBI uh, went too far with Donald Trump? That Donald Trump did not get enough uh, of his constitutional protections? That somehow or other it's the deep state uh, being intrusive and people are losing their sacred rights? Defund the FBI, Joshua. Defund the FBI uh, is a popular chant among, among MAGA. Uh, I call this a mixed message that uh, somehow or other the public is swallowing at the same same time. Uh, What's your thoughts on this? I mean, my thoughts on this is Donald Trump is a sociopathic maniac who is, uh, you know, the second he started running for office, immediately made the narrative in the country uh, worse, uh, the narrative in this country worse and uh, is a pretty despicable human being. Um, You know, (laughs) obviously you can sit here and twist it and and say like, great, you know, we should have transparency in what police are doing and and things along those lines. And they have seen instances from law enforcement agencies all across the country all the time um, about uh, uh, overreach. So if that is a way to reach MAGA, uh, 
mean, I don't, I don't know what to say about it. I'm not sure I want to reach those people. But, um, you know, Donald Trump may be single-handedly trying to restore life in the Fourth Amendment. So I guess that's well, positive. I have to admit, uh, and I, I think I'm just I'm a stubborn fellow. I consistently try uh, to convince people who vehemently disagree with me that at least there's inconsistency in their argument. I've been doing this in Chicago for years and years and years with the various policies that people uh, endorse locally and now do it nationally. And so I'm constantly trying to point out to Mega how inconsistent you are in your worldview. Uh, and uh, to give you an example, uh, we have a former governor, Rob Bogoyevich, uh, who claims he was um, wrongly sent to prison, uh, that his rights were invaded by the feds, uh, and uh, that he is a victim. And now I watch him, since Trump let him out of prison, going around saying, uh, yeah, I know, we have this notion that people are innocent uh, until proven otherwise, but most of them are guilty anyway, so just put him in jail. So you see what I'm saying? When we're up against Joshua, it's just like a tremendous inconsistency uh, on the part of the public as a whole when it comes to crime and uh, in law enforcement. Yeah, I mean, certainly. I mean, I, we all recognize this and abortion and death penalty, uh, the same people who are talking about the right to life over and over again in, of the fetus are the first to be willing to quickly like put on put people in the gas chamber so or the electric chair so uh, you know the contradictions people can make of it what they will but i, I can't right, well, do you mind if i jump in ben honestly? jump in man i know you're uh, biting at the go ahead i've 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 sued the fbi not as many times as the chicago police department but just about as many are pretty close and mm-hmm. i i take all your points but i i found it maddening to have progressives and liberals defend the quote-unquote, you know, career public servant FBI agents who are just doing their job, um, you know, when, when, there's, when there's accusations by the Trump people about misconduct by the FBI. Because the truth is that the FBI has a long history of violating civil liberties against political movements that they don't think are in the best interest of, of America. And it's it's to, to your point, it's it should be one or the other. I mean, it's they still call it the J. Edgar Hoover building. Right. So that's all you need to know to understand how the FBI operates. So, you know, I, I think we it's it's just devolved into this thing politically where we're, we're in two camps and maybe three, because I think there are also those of us who are kind of like it isn't always so black and white. But whatever whatever you say, then I'm going to say the opposite you say the FBI is bad, then I say the FBI is good in the other way around and around and around and down the toilet drain, the thing spins, you know, I, I have, it doesn't, I don't see anything about what the FBI did here. That seems at all improper. Um, you know, it is, I get the idea that it, it feels facially a little bit inconsistent. Um, you know, it, where this might be headed versus, you know, what happened with Hillary. And for, to, to me, Hillary should have been severely punished for, taking active steps to hide information from the public. And she, and she wasn't, and now we're kind of in that, in that situation. But, you know, I, I that, to your point, I think it, it's just, there isn't a whole lot of intellectual consistency. It's just, we're just in tribes now that are just fighting with each other. That is a very valid point. And so what you, I, and everything on that riff was excellent. I got to give you credit, Matt topic. No wonder I chose you as a lawyer or maybe you chose me as a client. I can't remember which. Uh, but everything you said is absolutely true. Uh, J. Edgar Hoover, for some of my younger listeners, <laughs> I 
feel like I have to remember this man was the greatest threat uh, to civil liberties. I would say, uh, I hope I'm not being hyperbolic on this uh, of in the later part of the 20th century. No doubt in my mind uh, from, well, really the 20th century from roughly 1920 to 1972 when he died. Uh, and then his number two man was Deep Throat. Uh, so you can, you can argue that uh, J. Edgar Hoover's uh, legacy lived on by uh, helping the Washington Post go after Nixon. Uh, so I completely and totally agree with you. And it's, uh, it's, it is perverse uh, and strange that uh, people who might be denouncing the FBI during the days of uh, the Chicago eight trial would now be proclaiming that the FBI is a hero uh, in this matter. So that is uh, well stated. And I think your larger point is the one we should follow, which is do it case by case as much as we can. And so in the particular case of Donald John Trump, uh, to your point, I agree. I see no evidence that the FBI intruded on what's typical law practice, but for law enforcement, they followed the procedures. Uh, they had to justify to a judge uh, why they were, uh, were, were, what is it, a search or a raid, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and, uh, and now he has a time to response, respond. Uh, I just, I guess I, I point this out because it's happening at the same time with a much larger discussion that affects thousands of more people about your civil liberties and your rights and how far law enforcement can go. Uh, and, I just wish that the folks who are screaming for the rights of Donald John Trump would maybe take a look at the rights of, I don't know, Ronald Watts victims. Do you follow what I'm saying, Matt? I'm just, yeah, hey, we could, Joshua and Matt could use some help over here. MAGA. I know if you want to be intellectually consistent, you might want to help them out. So, uh, but I take your point. Uh, that's a very good one. Um, do you want to uh, follow up anything, Matt, before we move on? I mean, I, I, I feel like if, if we start down that path, we're going to use up all our time. All right, let's move on and let's talk about, let's go start with the Ronald Watts Gates. Uh, we did a whole show on this with Joshua. Uh, I want to say about four months ago. I've lost track of time. Uh, if you want to hear uh, the full show, you can. Uh, give us an update. Uh, Joshua, and what's going on? To first, just explain to people briefly what uh, these cases are and give us an update. Go ahead. Yeah, so Ronald Watts was a corrupt Chicago police sergeant who led a corrupt tactical team. So these were non-uniform officers who were supposedly tasked with weeding out drug trafficking in uh, old Ida B. Wells housing projects or other housing projects on Chicago's south side. Um what, it, what he was actually doing was running his own um, corrupt drug line, uh, profiting off drug dealers and others, and framing individuals or planting drugs and falsifying charges against anyone who would stand in his way or sometimes just regular citizens in the housing projects. Um, Watts was caught. There was a joint Chicago Police Department and federal investigation that was ongoing on and off for a decade, for 10 years. Um, in 2007, I think, there was actually recordings, or there's FBI documents that make it very clear that the Chicago Police Department and the FBI were well aware of this daily planting of evidence uh, as, way back, as far back as the middle 2000s. 
Nevertheless, they let it go on. Um, these officers were working daily, and this corruption was happening every day and putting jailing people, getting lies in court, and wrongful convictions. So until Watts and one other guy, Khaled Muhammad, were brought up on federal charges on one count and pled guilty in 2012 and 2013. And then nothing happened. Um, the decade of individuals being imprisoned, charged, um, no one did anything about it. Um, and then in 2016, or late 2015, we filed a petition on behalf of an individual named Ben Baker, who was imprisoned still on a case that he has long, had long said for as, to anyone who would listen in court and anywhere else that Watts planted the case on him as long and his uh, co-conspirator officers who were still on the force uh, uh, lied about it in court. Uh, so we filed the petition showing all of this evidence of Watts doing that for a decade. And uh, 29 days later, the state's attorney and the court agreed and vacated Ben Baker's conviction and he walked out of prison. And then it's all sort of snowballed from there. Um, many, many, many people wrote me in our office saying the same thing happened to them. They weren't in prison anymore. And where we are today is uh, seven years later, I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 220 convictions, drug convictions have now been overturned from that era. Uh, We've been litigating and negotiating for the last seven years on that. Meanwhile, the Civilian Office of Police Accountability opened an investigation into the members of Watts' team who were still on the force, who were still getting paid to be police officers. Um, uh, as this scandal started to erupt um, and issued a, for after, had a four-year investigation, completed their investigation on Ben Baker's case, him and his actual wife. It was a second case, Clarissa Glenn, um, from 2005. Um, they opened that investigation in 2017 after their convictions were overturned. Released their, or finished the report in March of 2021, but wouldn't release it. The city would not release the report. Held it for another year and a half. Uh, so we brought in Matt Topic and his team to help us make them release that report, which was finally released only because of Matt's litigation three weeks ago. Um, that report was 33 pages, absolutely devastating to the city. This is a city agency that issued a 33-page single-spaced report that's actually devastating to the city, saying, among other things, the evidence indicates that, well, it talks about one officer, Alvin Jones, but it's multiple, repeatedly authored, signed, and filed false reports and supported those misstatements with false testimony under oath. Hmm. Um, It was ongoing for that decade, and it just, they let it happen. So, that's the status of where things are. Um, as far as the city, there is each of these individuals who had convictions overturned. So, of, you know, of the 220 or so convictions filed federal lawsuits or fi- are in the process of either have or filed federal lawsuits. Um, so we're looking at the city who's hired outside counsel, five different defense firms to defend the officers in the city in these lawsuits have already spent multi-million dollars in defending these lawsuits on um, the liability on the city is going to be hundreds of millions of dollars when this is done. Um, and that's where we are. Oh my goodness. All right. Let's bring Matt in. 
and uh, so Matt, this gets into FOIA issues. I, I'm just hearing the uh, the story. I can't see any justification why the city didn't release the report immediately, which would have been what, uh, according to my notes, uh, 2021, uh, over a year ago. Immediately, it's a public document about public uh, uh, employees dealing with a very important public issue. Uh, so explain to me, uh, Matt, uh, the resistance that you faced, the arguments that the city raised uh, to justify uh, keeping secret what should be a very public document. Sure. So uh, let me just uh, first start with a, a one-minute primer on FOIA. And it's a law that says uh, if you request records from the government that pertain to government business, you're entitled to them unless the government can show that one of uh, one of the things on a list of exemptions applies. So, uh, for example, you would never get my social security number, even if it exists in a secretary of state database, because there's an exemption for that. And we would be thankful that there is. Okay, there's a long list of those. And one of them is this thing called the deliberative process privilege. So um, this is based on the idea that uh, that government officials uh, are allowed to basically deliberate to express opinions in the course of reaching a decision without having those be disclosed. And when I tell people about this who aren't sort of used to it, it it seems very wrong. Like this this seems to be the number one kind of document I should be able to get is they made a decision. How did they make the decision? But it's it's this old kind of doctrine that even predates FOIA that's that, that is based on this theory that if if people's opinions in the course of a deliberation before a decision has been made get made public it might cause them to self-censor and they might not be as forthcoming and they'd be worried about how it looks. And so government decision-making would suffer. So that's called the deliberative process privilege. Some places have gotten rid of it. It's no longer, it hasn't been an exemption in Florida in a number of years and the sky has not fallen. I guess maybe you could say it has, but I don't think it's got anything to do with the elimination of the deliberative process privilege. Um, But so that's what the city was relying on. And what they were basically in order for them to do that, they had to, they had to sell this as COPA deliberating with the superintendent's office about what to do. And that just isn't how it works. Like COPA does an investigation, they report the investigation and they make a recommendation of what should happen. And then the, the super, there's a process by which the superintendent can agree with that or not agree with that. But this isn't like they're sitting down and having a discussion about what should we do about this? So the whole thing was really, it was doomed to failure, I think, from the from the very beginning. So so a few months went by. We filed the suit after the, the report had been finalized and submitted in the time period for the superintendent to object to COPA's findings had passed. It was basically the thing was final. Um, we sued. And so then you quickly get to what I call the put up or shut up moment. So. So it's easy for the government to just write you a letter that says you can't have this document because of blah, blah, blah. Right. But if you sue them and you get into court, they can't, it's not enough for them just to say it. They actually have to prove it. Right. They, and the burden is on them to prove that an exemption applies. And there's, there are both, there, there's a variety of different doctrines that make it particularly hard for the government to do that. Cause there's a presumption 
that every record is subject to disclosure. And so they have to overcome that presumption and they have to prove by a, a particularly high standard of evidence that the exemption applies. All the exemptions are narrowly construed. There's like a bunch of thumbs on the scale in our favor, right? So we get to that point in this case where we file the kind of motion that requires them to put up or shut up, either turn over the document or put forth your case of why you think you can withhold this document. So instead of doing that, the city just doesn't file its brief. Like we get a schedule and they just like don't file anything. And so then we, we get the next one. We're like, well, hey, they didn't file anything. They're waiving all of it. And then we show up in, in then there's a process. You show up in court to basically when the briefs are done and you're going to schedule the hearing. And we're like, hey, they never, you know, it's waived. You should just order it produced. And they say, oh, we're going to we're going to produce. it. So we get a date by which they're going to produce it. That day comes and that day goes uh, and we don't get the document. So we've got to file what's called a motion for rule to show cause, which is basically, hey, city, explain to me, the judge, why I shouldn't sanction you for not following my orders. Because that's kind of the whole thing of being a judge is you order something and the party is supposed to do the thing that you order. Well, so they didn't do that. But it's like, oh, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. So then they produce it, but they redact it. And they redacted a bunch of stuff that was not what they were supposed to be doing. So we got to do this dance again. And we file another motion that says, put up or shut up on all these redactions. And they do the same thing again. They don't file a brief. We file a reply brief that says they didn't file a brief. And then we get an order where the court's like, yeah, you're, it's all got to be produced. We're done here. You waived it. You're, you're done. So those are things that I have a list. I think it's up to about 27 cases, and we only started keeping the list in the last maybe six months, of instances in which the city either didn't answer a complaint and therefore was in default, didn't file a brief when they were supposed to, violated a court order to produce documents. A whole, we can go off on a tangent on that in a minute. But so, so, we, so we get to where finally we're like, hey, uh, Judge a second motion to show where they, where they didn't do the thing they were supposed to do. Um, and so we have to, you know, we have to file that motion. Um, and only after that, when they were, when they were on the eve of having to explain to a court why they have just flagrantly violated the court order, they finally produce the unredacted document. So they basically bought themselves about 11 months of just not doing anything, but managing to drag out, the process for as long as possible. All right. And now I'm picking up on a theme that Matt introduced and I'm going to follow through on this theme. Hey, all you Demi Dems out there who hate Donald Trump and love Lori Lightfoot. This is what we call in the business, the Alex Jones defense. So named for the uh, talk show host uh, who was sued by parents of children gunned down in Sandy Hook. Matt, I don't know if you follow these things. Yeah. I obsessively follow. Alex Jones lawyers just refused <laughs> to abide by judicial orders for like documents, depositions, et cetera, and so forth. And finally, the judge just said, you're guilty. And they moved on to the, I mean, I just, I can't deal with this. You're not even mounting a defense. You're just making a travesty of everything. And so the city with its lawyers paid by you, the taxpayers were essentially following the same tactics that Alex Jones lawyers did. So the city is following the Alex Jones playbook. Now I just need to Matt, one thing. Uh, by the way, do you think I'm being unfair before I move on, Matt? Do you think I'm being unfair to the, the lawyers that you saw in court that represent the city? Do you think it's unfair me to say that the Demi Dems of Chicago were following Alex Jones tactics? Go. 
Well, what I don't know is to what extent it was this the fault of the law department and to what extent was this the fault of the police department? Because it's like the police department is the client of the law department. So I don't I don't know. And, and at some point in one of these cases, maybe we're going to start to find out exactly what the issues are. Um, but it, I mean, just to not file stuff is it's it's a new low, really. I mean, you know, it, they've always been not transparent. I mean, I, this is, I, my first FOIA case was against the daily administration. I had tons against Rahm's administration and there's just as many or more now, but this is kind of a, this violating court orders is just sort of a new level. And, you know, to the point you opened up with about crime uh, and uh, you know, in, in the connection between the police breaking the law and crimes not getting solved. I mean, what kind of example does this set when the, the police department and the law department are not following the law, they're not following court orders. I mean, it's a, it's a terrible example. It's just, it's lawlessness is what it is. Uh, you, you, you had, you, you said something, I wrote it down. I just need to know uh, what exactly you're referring to. Uh, maybe some of my listeners are wondering uh, themselves. Uh, you were talking, they, you said that they, meaning the city, produced it but it was redacted is the it in that sentence a reference to the brief that they were supposed to file it the it was the actual report is that correct it was the the report so they 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 tried to kind of get away with producing the report but redacting it but that was they were never real they were never allowed to do that and then when they had the opportunity to try to prove that there were there were limited parts of the report that they could withhold they didn't even make any effort to actually prove that either. Got it. Okay. Uh, and uh, so they released the report uh, just recently. And is that report online where anybody can read it themselves, that COPA report? Um, it's widely available. It's been reported on. I'm not exactly sure where it is on the website, but we could get it on ours. Um, but, you know, let me highlight a couple of, points that relate to what you guys were talking about. I mean, if you want to talk about a new low of not following the law and the taxpayers paying for this type of, you know, devious or not, not complying with these court orders. I mean, let's be very clear that this report, which touts, I mean, which, which is from the city itself, a city agency that talks about, their officers and the city's cover-up of these officers and their misconduct for a decade ongoing, that same city is paying for the legal defense of these same officers. So that's you, the taxpayers, who are paying for that. And we're not talking about thousands of dollars. We're talking about millions of dollars with these lawsuits. And it's it's not something that has to happen. I mean, that is something that they could say, we want – to put an end to this. This is a shameful chapter in the history of this city. We, these people need to get some sort of reconciliation, some sort of restoration, some way to get whole. This community needs to be made whole. There is an open invitation from all of our clients to do that. There is absolutely no interest from the city in engaging in that process to put an end to this chapter. None, zero after seven years. So it's, um, it's, it's tragic. All right. So uh, Joshua, you cannot read the minds 
of the city lawyers, the city police leaders, the mayor, the city of Chicago, uh, whoever was behind the decision to resist releasing a public document uh, that a publicly funded body uh, produced. Uh, so you cannot tell me uh, with great certainty uh, what motivated them. Uh, Matt already laid out their stated reason. So we all understand their stated reason. But most Chicagoans uh, have come to the point where they realize there's a stated reason for a public official doing X, Y, Z, Joshua, and an unstated reason. In other words, the real reason. In your humble opinion, Joshua, what is the unstated real reason that the city resisted for so long, forcing Topic to go into court before they finally, uh, <laughs> well, at the judge's insistence, I guess, the order, followed the order to release it? Go ahead. I mean, it's political. It's, I mean, it's a devastating report, and it's devastating to the city's defense and the officer's defense to these civil rights lawsuits. Um, and it is just, I don't, and we talked about this last time. I don't think that it's logical yeah. because it is costing more money for the taxpayers to continue to, to not uh, accept the reality that the entire system is accepted of how, how much misconduct was at play here. Um, because it, to defend this just keeps, uh, making it make making it it's not economically sound yeah. i don't know why it's not politically sound to come out as a demi dem and just say i'm a, we have to be accountable for this lori lightfoot herself has called ronald watts the john burge of our era and she's defending him so um i certainly get i'm not a politician but i could certainly see a scenario where we can say we have to clean this up and we take responsibility and we are going, it is a large number to make these people whole, but we're saving you a ton of money by doing it now. And it's the right thing to do. And it's holding cops responsible and it could help crime where we started before by showing the community that we believe in real police accountability. It could serve politically very positive, but that's just not what they believe. And what they believe is we can continue to play this out for years and years and years and let the next administration have to deal with it. Who's going to continue to do the exact same, same thing. All right. I'm going to give you my theory and I'm going to I'm going to love to hear Matt topics response because he's been court fighting the city forever. I believe that uh, leaders of the city of Chicago, every leader we've had since the greatest mayor we had, uh, Harold Washington viewed any kind of conciliatory action toward a uh, defendant who was not a, a well-heeled, well-connected corporation that was seeking some kind of uh, judgment from the city, any kind of conciliation toward that defendant as weakness. They're like in this macho struggle. And so like, if they give up the Laquan McDonald video, that's weakness. That says the next person that comes forward, uh, topic was the lawyer in that one, ladies and gentlemen, is probably the most famous case. The next person who comes along will have standing to argue that the city release it. If you release it for Laquan McDonald, then the next time Topic comes, they're going to have to release it to him. This is a really twisted, in my humble view, Matt Topic, uh, that people in Chicago have embraced. I don't understand it. And I watch Lori Lightfoot, who's not even from Chicago. She's from Ohio. She's like totally bought into it. She never wants to say she ever did anything freaking wrong. 
Uh, do you buy my theory? Go. Yeah. Um, in it, it, it her, while her politics are very different from Donald Trump's and while she's not nearly as extreme as Donald Trump, there are some Trumpian tactics about how she is as a politician, attack the press, you know, but she, you know, the, 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 the way she's gone after the tribune and how she said, you know, I canceled my subscription, right. That, that kind of stuff that like fight it, don't admit, uh, don't admit mistake. I think that, that definitely is, that's part of it. I mean, she's also, she is not an outsider as she claimed when she ran, she goes back to the daily administration. I mean, she ran the police oversight agency, it, you know, under daily. Um, so she's, she's not, she, I, it, miraculously, she somehow was able to sell her, you know, pitch herself as being that, but, but she goes way back. So, um, so I don't know, that's sort of part of it. To, to your question about, this sign of weakness. I think, you know, this is the same reason that some corporations are, are really difficult to litigate against. They, they take the position that we don't want to be seen as a soft target. And even if you have a valid claim, we, we want to make you spend a lot of time and money fighting it because we don't want to encourage more people, you know, I would say that they would probably think both people with meritorious and um, unmeritorious claims, but you know, the city doesn't want to get sued any more than it, than it has to. So, uh, it, so I think there is, I, that certainly seemed to be the way the daily people approach it. And I think the Ron people, you know, kind of got a little more sober about that. I, I, Josh might have other views from his experience there, but, but I think they, they, um, they were a little bit more like, let's, let's not just fight because we're hardwired to fight. So, but yeah, I mean, it's not wanting to admit mistakes, maybe part of it, but the, the political calculations, you're right. Are, are it's, they're very hard to understand. Like why not when you come into office, that's your golden opportunity to, you know, that's when you can say, yeah, we just paid $250 million to settle these cases and blame the person before me for that. I'm just cleaning up their mess. Well, now here we are, what, three years later, it, you can't really, it's, it isn't, it, now it's your mess. So clean it up before it becomes your mess. I mean, so it's, yeah. it's not even good. I mean, the city shouldn't be run by the political expediencies of the person in office, but it, it is often. And it's, they're not, it's like not even good at it. It's sort of like doubly insulting almost to me. You know, it's absolutely there. It's it's terrible policy and it's also bad politics. I, I submit to you, uh, Matt, topic. Uh, and this is I don't want to go down this rabbit hole because we have move on. But I submit to you that uh, Rahm Emanuel would have won and would have been reelected had he uh, released the Laquan McDonald video uh, right after he cut the deal with the family to settle. Yes. Or <laughs> even even more, he still could have done it. We went in and argued the case. It was very clear we were going to win but the ruling wasn't scheduled to come down for a month and they had a month to reflect on it. And if I think if he had released it then before there was a court order, it would have still been in response to a lawsuit, but he, he could have said, Hey, I wasn't, I was listening to the corporation counsel, but now that I've looked at it myself and I better understand it, I, I am convinced that this needs to be released and I am going to release it. I think it would have, it would have come down differently, but once it's, in response to a court order, then, you know, now it's just, you were the obstructionist. And I yeah, think absolutely. you're totally right. Absolutely. And uh, again, since Harold Washington, we've never had a mayor that you could anticipate would do the right thing. 
And that's why there's so much cynicism, Matt and Joshua. That's why voting, like, it's like 35%. That's a good turnout. Everybody knows it's a farce. It's only <laughs> geeks like me. No, please vote. You got to vote. It's, it's really important. And uh, all right. So one more time, what was in the report that they fought, Joshua? Kicking and screaming. Had to get topic in there, filing briefs and stuff. Uh, what, what was the name of the judge that ultimately forced them to release the report? You know, well, whatever. doesn't matter. Uh, what was literally in the report? that they fought so hard to keep the public uh, from seeing. Go, Joshua. Sure. Sure. So the report, we've talked a lot about Ronald Watts. Ronald Watts went to federal prison, and he's long been out. But as I mentioned, his core members of his team were still on the police force for after his indictment, got away with Alvin. And these are the same officers who every one of my clients say were part and partial of the daily corruption for a decade. Well, this report primarily concerns an officer named Alvin Jones. Alvin Jones was, after Watts' indictment and conviction, which was in 2013, his conviction, Alvin Jones was actually promoted to sergeant in 2014. So the FBI and the Chicago Police Department knew all about Jones' involvement in the day-to-day corruption, and CPD decided to promote him in 2014. Well, this report... And he was still on the CPD, you know, until he just recently resigned because in anticipation of the release of this report. But anyway, this report is a um, analysis of, of Ben Baker and Clarissa Glenn's case from December 11th, 2005. And what it essentially shows is that Jones testified to witnessing the supposed drug crime from Clarissa Glenn and Ben Baker, like observing it, surveilling it, and seeing them with drugs. They have long maintained those drugs were planted on them and they did not have drugs. Well, what Copa uncovered or what was uncovered in this report is Alvin Jones gave sworn testimony, not just against Chris again and Ben Baker, but against five other individuals in a totally different area of the IWL's housing projects at the ex- that of surveilling and witnessing a drug transaction at the exact same time he claimed he was surveilling Clarissa and Ben. So when he was, Jones was confronted with this, he admitted essentially that he lied uh, in the other proceeding. Um, He admitted that he lied in Ben's proceeding to the extent of who he said was there, Ben and Clarissa's proceeding. And this 33 page report unpacks a lot of that. So um, it is, proof beyond any doubt of that he was fabricating and making up testimony and lying about it in these cases, as has been alleged by literally hundreds of others. Wow. That's pretty disturbing. I, um, and again, I'll repeat, and it goes back uh, to how we began the conversation and uh, Matt, your, your point was right on. Uh, if you're not consistent uh, in your um, criticism of overreach by law enforcement, if you're just selective about it, if you only complain about it when it's Donald Trump that does it, and you look the other way when Demi Dems do it, or if you only complain about it when Demi Dems do it, uh, and you look the other way with Donald Trump, then there is, we have no standards. So uh, yeah. here's the real concern. I mean, what, what, the city kept saying to us is we'll release the report 
when the charges are filed by the law department against Alvin Jones. And the big question to me is, is when the city, and it's got to go to the very top of the city, considering how high profile it is, and we know it goes straight to the superintendent of the Chicago Police Department, and we know that him and Lori Lightfoot do a lot of press conferences together. Anyway, when he gets this report in March of 2021, wouldn't they be extremely motivated to file charges against this super corrupt officer who's caught in these blatant lies and that their own department, why, why are they dragging their feet not to do that? Why to this day, are there no charges against any, and then we're not talking about criminal charges. We're talking about charges so they can't be police officers anymore. So they can face some sort of discipline for their misconduct. None of these officers have ever been held accountable in any way whatsoever, not with criminal charges, not, not with uh, even a suspension, not with a slap on the wrist. They just keep day to day being police officers at this very moment. So why why do you think, again, I know you, you can't read their minds, but why have they not uh, gone after these police officers? I mean, I think it's a combination of everything that we've been talking about throughout this hour-long conversation, that they're, they're poor politicians uh, they're poor and poor at analyzing the economics around it and that they are don't want to be looked at as weak. I thought that was very compelling. I think they want to be viewed in every way that they do to be, you know, that we want to, fil- you know, filter out crime and we want to side with the police department. Well, you are siding with the police department when you're, when you're, uh, trying to to weed out these corrupt police officers and you are being tough on crime by getting rid of the corrupt and criminal police officers but for reasons that i cannot explain that is impossible for our political leaders to see well i go one step further this this is matt topic country information is power if you have information and the other side doesn't have it you have the power and one of the things I applaud the yeah, I can't believe these words are coming out of my mouth, uh, Donnie Trump and his uh, defense team for doing, they forced the feds to come through with their case. Now, if the feds behave like Chicago police officers, they wouldn't tell you. They let just keep like, well, remember how long Ron was supposedly investigating the LaCroix McDonald uh, shooting Matt topic? Remember how long? Well, there's still an investigation going. And then we all learned there was no investigation going. It was just a bunch of hype. So, I, yeah, they just hold on to this stuff because they can and they have it. And if you have the information, that dilutes their power. So I don't think there's a rational reason for all this. This is just like typical Chicago mentality, tough guy, um, the toughest. Guy. What did Lori Lightfoot say to that lawyer, Matt Topic? Remember that one? Remember that case? The Park District oh. case? Uh, I think it had to do with the relative uh, endowment of, yes. of, yes. of her and, and someone else, supposedly. Yeah, yeah. there's an interesting. There, there was a bunch of. I think a bunch of stuff was sealed in that case. I don't know what ended up happening with it. I know that some media folks were moving to unseal it. But yeah, that was a you talk about the wrinkle uh, in Chicago history. You talk about the case uh, with the uh, Park District and the. The, the lawyer, no, it was the, it was the Columbus yeah. statute case. Uh, yeah. Is that the case where stuff was, st- yeah, there's more stuff sealed. 
<laughs> we can't know. That's right. We can't know what Lori Lightfoot said because I don't know why. Because I think it was it was sort of it, it might those statements might have been priv- like attorney client privilege or something like that. But yeah, you know what they're saying, Chicago. They're saying you're stupid. That's what they're saying. And they've been saying it ever since Harold Washington died. You're stupid. And you know what? You kind of go along with it. So it's really hard for me to defend you. All right. I'm sorry, uh, Matt and Joshua, for that aside, which I probably insulted your friends. Uh, and I apologize. Uh, all right. We, we've, this has been fascinating. Uh, I, I love this conversation. We'll close. Uh, I had two other topics I was going to go into greater detail. So we're just going to have to bring you guys back because you're great guests. Very knowledgeable. And you put up with me, so I appreciate that. Uh, so uh, I'll ask Joshua about Ronaldo uh, Guevara, and uh, I'll close with Matt just talking about FOIA cases in general. Uh, so sort of like a tease, as Dennis would say, for future shows. Uh, we'll start with you. Go ahead, Joshua. Yeah, I just want to, you know, one thing I left off, I think you introduced Matt as the world's greatest FOIA expert. And I think you called me an expert in trying to get people out of prison. So I don't know uh, where, so I guess you're starting on the low end here, but, uh, uh, but so um, Ronaldo Guevara is, you want to defend yourself, Ben, with that? I'm sorry. I caught you off guard, but no, I think that was a legitimate, uh, you know, uh, it was a. It's it's a lot harder to get someone out of prison than get the city uh, to release a, a yeah, document, it, in my humble opinion. So I'm, I yeah, wasn't it, saying Matt was a better lawyer than you. <laughs> and I'll, I'm going to stand up for Joshua, who who has exonerated like literally hundreds of innocent people, hundreds. Yes. I, I like the expertise in just trying to do it, though. That, I, I'm very proud of that. Um, uh, anyway, Ronaldo Guevara is a whole different can of worms uh, that I would be love to come on and talk about more. But this is a homicide detective who uh, fabricated evidence, lied in court, hid documents, um, but was putting people in jail, um, profiting off putting people in jail um, in prison for decades uh, for homicide cases. So it's, it's in some ways uh, just unbelievably devastating, ravaged whole communities on the west side of the city um, uh, throughout the late 80s and through the 90s. Um, last month, uh, the state's attorney, Cook County State's attorney, Kim Fox, announced, and this is after many, many years of litigation and negotiation and conversations with her um, that they would no longer defend post-conviction cases involving claims of misconduct against Guevara where he was essential to the investigation and they withdrew opposition to eight pending cases. Actually, um, and I think they withdrew opposition from 10. So eight people were exonerated. Two judges are still holding them up. Uh, we're fighting for that. Um, and, you know, on, it was August 9th where seven people were exonerated. I, I believe, I mean, I'm actually fairly certain, it's the first mass exoneration, at least through the courts, of homicide offenses in the history of the United States. So it's, it's, it's unprecedented. It's a guy, Ronaldo Guevara, most people can't even pronounce his name, who is, you know, not nearly as well known as Ronald Watts, or John Burge, or, and maybe people even know who they are. Um, and it just kind of shows you just the absolute amount of police corruption in the Chicago Police Department that there is. There, there's just this 
almost there's this historic moment last month involving this Chicago police officer, which I bet if you asked one in 10 of your listeners, they've probably never even heard of. So. Yeah. Uh, no, we'll have to have you come back uh, for that one. Um, and I just have to tell you before we go to Matt and to close it down, I just read a novel. Uh, and I don't know if you read fiction or you're a nonfiction guy, but you'll get a kick out of this. It's called The Murder Rule. And it's by an Australian novelist, a mystery writer, uh, Dervla McTiernan, I believe her name is. Uh, and the premise of this novel, Joshua, is that a young law school student, follow me in this, uh, finagles her way onto what essentially is what they call an innocence project team in order to prove that the man that her team is trying to get out of prison is actually guilty of the crimes that they want to get him out of prison for. Did you follow that? Wow. And I know. So she's like working behind the scenes. Ding, 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 ding. Anyway, uh, thoroughly enjoyed the book. Urge you, if you read novels, to read it. It'll probably be a movie because it's got a lot of twists and terms. You'll get a- yeah, but it, it, it sounds like she didn't read the rules of professional responsibility because you're generally like not allowed to work against your client's interests. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, she's violated like a gazillion rules. Okay. <laughs> just, she's lying throughout just to get on the team. Like I said, she finagled. That's a very euphemistic way of saying what she did to get on the team itself. Uh, uh, it's a little uh, unrealistic to put it mildly, but you know, it kept me up at night reading. So uh, I urge uh, Joshua to read that. Uh, all right, Matt, any uh, FOIA cases uh, we should know about? Uh, anything uh, the city up to no good that we should know about? Yeah, we, I mean, we, we talked about some of that already, but yeah, we have. Uh, well, here's a good example for you. Uh, we have a case for. Um, for Will Calloway. I don't know if Will's ever been on your show. You, you probably know what Will was one of the folks that was really instrumental in getting the Laquan McDonald case brought and bringing attention to it and, and all that. So, so he had a, he had a case we did for him um, related to a different use of force by officers. And we, the city did the same thing they always do. And they just try to withhold all of it and they're not allowed to do that. And, and we won and then, it, then there's there's a provision in the law that says if it's a willful and intentional violation, that uh, that uh, you can get civil penalties, uh, which you know again it costs the taxpayers, but it's it's a way to disincentivize violations of the statute. And so we were the judge said you know we were entitled to take discovery on those issues, uh, and the city did the same thing; they just didn't answer it. That we said, okay, then just award these penalties, which we're arguing should amount to eight hundred thousand dollars, or give or take. Just award. They're not going to. If they're not going to produce the discovery, then just fine for us. And the court says, no, I'm going to give them a chance to do it. They blow another deadline. Still don't. Still don't uh, answer the discovery. While they're fi- while the potential ramifications for this are eight hundred thousand dollars in liability to the to the taxpayers, uh, they still don't do it. Uh, we, so we file another motion, uh, and then they don't file the response to that. And it's, wow. it's just, it's like they're, they're going out of their way, it, like to see how much they can get away with, or I don't know. I don't know what it is. So that, that's, I mean, I don't know, maybe that's a little bit kind of FOIA geeky, but, uh, but it's just, it's in it. And if they, if, if that's bad, you can just imagine how bad just answering requests are. Yeah. If I can, do I have another minute, Ben? I can stop. Oh, no, it's a podcast. We had a lot of time. Go. <laughs> so, so yeah. I did want to talk about, and maybe Josh will weigh in a little bit here too, is that the, the, all the Watts stuff that we've been talking about 
it, it, it doesn't exclusively go back to this, but it, it, FOIA actually was a part of the story that led to even where we are now. Because Ben Baker, who Josh was talking about, um, did something, you know, I mean, he, he advocated for himself for a long time, but he did something that was really very smart, very clever, which is he made a FOIA request to the FBI for whatever records they had about any investigation into Ronald Watts. And at this point, Watts had already been convicted of, uh, of the, of some crimes and sentenced to a, a pretty lenient sentence. I think. But so, so he makes a request to the FBI saying, I want to see everything you have on Ronald Watts. And the FBI said that Ronald Watts's privacy rights were more important and they wouldn't even search for any records, let alone produce any records. So, we ended up talking to us, we sued, and then the FBI changed their mind and they produced a bunch of documents that showed, Josh, tell me if I have this right here, that, that the state's attorney's office, at the same time that they're prosecuting Ben Baker, knew that the FBI was investigating Ronald Watts for the exact kind of thing that Baker was saying happened to him, and nonetheless, they put they put Watts on the stand to testify. Do I have that? Do I have that right, Josh? Unbelievable. You have that that right, and some with CPD. I mean, CPD now, too. I mean, and they were letting these officers continue to do that, so don't give them a pass, too. I did notice Matt's got one framed FOIA letter on his wall in his office. I've never noticed this, and it is the FBI's letter in response to the Ben Baker's request giving them the documents. Well, it's it's in response to our law. So this is the second. The first letter was... uh, we're not giving you anything. This is the letter saying, well, we've, after further consideration of the information you provided, we've decided to process your request. And so, so that ends up being part of, I mean, it, there was a lot of other things too, but it, it was a, a part of uh, Ben's successful petition, which kicked this whole thing off, was records he got wow. under the Freedom of Information Act. And the, and the thing that is very haunting to me, and Josh, tell me what you think, Wow. The FBI know is they're investigating Watts. They know that what they got to know that Watts is testifying in criminal cases in Cook County, putting people away, doing the same kind of stuff they're investigating him for doing. Not only does the FBI know, the U.S. Attorney knows, and this isn't speculation because it's in their filings in the federal case prosecuting Watts and Muhammad. In their sentencing memorandum, this is one of the first citations in all my briefs on this, the U.S. attorney, the assistant U.S. attorney in the sentencing memorandum against Watts uses examples of catching Watts on wiretap, framing individuals and people going to prison and having to plead guilty and going to prison. And not only did they let that happen, but they never did anything to go back and like exonerate that person. That person to this day that they note in that letter, he's never contacted me. I don't know. I mean, I know who he is, but I've been, he's never contacted me. So I don't represent him. He's never had his conviction vacated. And the U S attorney has it on apparently on some recording that they know what happened. And so not, I mean, everybody knew, everybody knew and everybody let it happen. And it's devastating. Wow, that is uh, a very upsetting news, uh, and uh, it's par for the course, uh, and it kind of proves the point, uh, Matt, topic that you raised at the outset. 
uh, of the conversation. This is not new, by the way, with the FBI. This goes back to the daily years where I always thought that J. Edgar Hoover uh, was spying on the city, uh, largely not not to uh, find evidence of crime so he could stop the crimes, but find evidence of crime so that he could blackmail <laughs> Richard J. Daly and the powers that be in Chicago. And so he would gather information about them and what they were up to. Uh, I, I'm not certain that's the same thing here. Uh, maybe it's just classic racist uh, indifference uh, to a crime against black people, uh, which that could also, there was this very similar situation when you guys were very young lawyers, uh, you're far younger than me, but uh, in the nineties where the FBI was running a sting operation where they had uh, this operative uh, paying off uh, of public officials to allow them to dump in their wards. And he dumped this huge amount of debris uh, on a vacant lot uh, in on the West side. And then it, we, like this mountain of garbage, they just kept there. Once the guy, once the uh, uh, indictments against the public officials were out, and Matt, I'm like, wait, aren't you going to clean up the garbage? They, well, they, well, I got to keep that for evidence. Like, so it's <laughs> Chicago history, ladies and gentlemen. And again, you go through life with your eyes closed or you could be aware of it. Matt Topic, thank you very much. Joshua Teffer, thank you very much. Going to have to bring you guys back. You're a great tag team, all right? Thank you. Anytime, Ben. All right, very good. Yeah. That's, jo- that's Joshua and Matt. I'm Ben Jarofsky. I also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as Matt and Joshua and the head of the FBI will be happy to tell you back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D and the D stands for the marvelous. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. Peace and love everybody. Mm-hmm.